our attention to this gospel from Matthew's account, chapter 13, verses 44 through 52. You'll find that either on page 691 or 795 if you're using a copy of the Bible under the seat in front of you. The last few weeks we've been looking at uh, chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel, unpacking the various parables, the gospel parables that Matthew gives us there. There are seven parables in chapter 13. We begin Jesus identifying himself as the one who actually sows the seed. He prepares the good soil and he sows the seed. He is the one who waters that seed by his word. He is the one who brings forth fruit from that seed, even though the evil surrounds us with the wheat and the weeds living side by side together. He concludes these sermons today, these parables today, with one more very important thing that we must give our attention to. Not only has he planted the seed and watered the seed and brings fruit from the seed, but he gives us one more very important point, that point that we must give our full attention to today. So let's give that attention then to the reading and preaching of God's word. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44, hear now the word of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that has been let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in the baskets, but threw away the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old treasures. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And what do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father in heaven, open our eyes now to behold this beautiful treasure that you have in front of us, the treasure of your word that you promised to water in our hearts and in our minds to bear fruit, the treasure of the gospel inside of us. Do this work for your own glory, please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. One of my great delights as a minister of the gospel is to have the privilege of baptizing individuals. And being a Reformed Presbyterian church, we understand and practice the infant form of covenant baptism. But I'm always just a little bit leery, a little bit nervous. You never know what kind of mishap you're going to have when, you, uh, when you're baptizing a baby. I remember when Melissa, my oldest daughter, was baptized. She threw up all over uh, the pastor. His black robe just had this white stuff running completely down. There's always crying, or there seems to be some crying involved when the water's too warm or too cold or the shock value of being taken out of mom's arms and into the arms of somebody that the child doesn't know. And then do you remember that baptism of little Josh Linhard? 
You remember that day when I was wearing those soft-soled shoes that I've never worn again since that particular day? Because I stepped off that top step and I almost bit it. I slipped up and you could have, you did hear this audible <gasps> gasp throughout the entire sanctuary. The Lenards had some friends who were sitting in one of the alcoves and they happened to snap the picture just as I was slipping. <laughs> So Matt did the wonderful privilege of sending me that picture that I still have in my computer oh, like this. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. I was thinking about that this week as I was listening to a sermon that Sinclair Ferguson preached. And he was talking about one particular day when he was doing a baptism and he handed after the baptism the child back to his mother and the child reached up and grabbed her pearl necklace and ripped that pearl necklace right off of her neck and then all this like machine gun fire of pearls that fell all over the wooden chancel. And he, thought, he said, I thought for a flash she has in this instantaneous moment a decision to make. Is she going to pass this kid back to me where she can get down on her hands and knees and pick up the treasure that is all over the floor? Or is she going to really understand that the treasure that she has is in her arms right now? I can't tell you the end of the story because he didn't tell it on the sermon. I don't know. I don't know. But what would you do? In the heat of that moment, in the instantaneous second that you have to make a decision, would you understand that the treasure that you value more than anything is already in your arms, much more than that which is all about the ground in front of you? That's really what this last, these last three parables that Jesus gives us is all about. There is a word that is repeated uh, a, a few times or hinted at that same word. In verse 44, we find the word treasure. In verse 46, we find one of great value or a great treasure of great value. And then at our last verse, in verse 52, new treasures and old treasures. The word that is repeated in these three parables is the word treasure. And Jesus is saying, you have some you have a treasure that has been given to you now in this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which is in me. This treasure is me now doing a work for you, and I'm going to dwell in you. It will be good, he's going to say in a few short chapters, it's good for me to go, because when I go, the fullness of that treasure will now dwell within you by the power of the Spirit to stream up within you, boil up within you like streams of living water. I wonder if we understand that. I wonder if we really understand the value of the treasure that we have been given in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I think Jesus ends this way because of two things. Number one, either we are in hot pursuit of the material things of life. That defines many of us here. We don't understand the, the, the treasure of the gospel because we are so busy about trying to get the treasures of the earth, those material things that we can wrap our arms around, better jobs, better cars, better homes, better relationships, better something, better, better, better. We fix our eyes on those things and we pursue them with all of our might. But if that doesn't describe you, if that doesn't define you, you understand in part the value, the treasure of the gospel. Perhaps this does. We devalue, we devalue that treasure that is planted within us, the gospel within us, by failing to give our full attention to it, failing to bow the knee to the very one who did the work for us, and we're just 
responding to the things that pop up in life. When something bad pops up from time to time, we're discouraged and depressed. We want it to go away. When something good pops up, we give our attention to that. And we just move from thing to thing to thing. Living out a Christian life, bunny ear, quote unquote. But do we really value that treasure? That's why Jesus asks, look at verse 51. He finishes these parables and he asks this question. And this question he is asking now through the preaching of the word to you this morning as well. Have you understood all of these things? Have you really understood the value of the treasure of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope that is yours because of this gospel, or are you in pursuit of other things or devaluing this very thing that the Savior says He came to give you? So let's look at these last three parables then. Seven parables of chapter 13. Seven parables in one short chapter. And now he gives us of the last three parables, two of these parables only in three verses. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man finds it, he reburies it. And then he goes and sells everything and he buys that field. And then the next parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one, he sells everything that he has and he goes to pursue it. We have two different individuals here, but notice how they discover the treasure that they, that they come across. The first guy, the worker of the field, discovers the treasure, not because he is in pursuit of it, not because he is looking for it, but because he happens upon it. He's out working the field, and while he's working the field, he comes across a treasure. He reburies that treasure, which is common for the day. You know the, uh, the, the, the history of even the, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They put things in clay pots and they hid them in caves or they buried them in the ground. And, and, and an individual could take something of worth and bury it in the ground and not tell anyone, have an accident in the field and die, and nobody would know that the treasure is there until somebody happened upon it one particular day. So this man is not in pursuit of anything. He happens upon it and understands the value of it. The second guy in verse 45, he's looking for something. He is looking for something of great wealth, of great value. A merchant looking for fine pearls. But don't miss the point here. I think what we tend to do when we, when we hear parables like this is this what, what, what kind of a moral response is this of a guy who finds something in the field and then he doesn't tell the owner of the field that he found it, but he, he buries it or hides it in the cave and then he goes and sells everything so he can talk the guy into, into selling him his land. We get caught up in that, don't we? We get caught up in the this is not a moral guy. That's not Jesus' point. We can't miss the point that Jesus is trying to give to us. He's telling us this. He's telling them this. I am the one who plants the seed. I am the one who waters the seed. I am the one who brings forth fruit from the seed. That's what he's been telling us in the parables that precede this one. He is the one who is in pursuit of us. Romans chapter 3, there are none righteous, no, not one. No one who seeks after God. But John chapter 4, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman at the well, that's the kind of worshiper that the Father seeks. He is in pursuit of us. And so Jesus is saying that all of my elect will come to me in different ways. 
Some will come to me not even looking for me. They will just happen to find me because I have revealed myself to them and they understand the value of the gospel. And others will be in pursuit of something that they think is going to bring them happiness, but then they will actually find the wealth, the value of the treasure of the gospel and see that it is worth so much more. That's Jesus' point. We are in pursuit of you. The Savior is in pursuit of you. I am in pursuit of you, Jesus is saying. And I will find you. The hound of heaven will always get his man. And he will either come into heaven, not even knowing what it is that he's looking for, or looking for something else and find a greater value. And so that leads us then to the response. If you're following along in your outline, I think B, 1B says yeast there. That was from last week. It should say response. From the discovery, now comes the response then. Look at the response. They came, from different, they came to discover the value from different perspectives, not looking and looking. But now they respond to this value the same way. They are both determined to do whatever they can do to get it. Full determination. They understand now the value of what they have found, what God has revealed to them, and they want it more than anything in the world. A fool says in his heart, I sit and I open the word and I don't understand anything. A fool responds with the faithful preaching of the word by walking out the back door and that word having no impact on the change of their life. And we do that over and over and over again. Do we really understand the fullness of the gospel, the wealth of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel? Are we determined that that gospel is going to be knit in our hearts and in our minds and then lived out in the very lives that we live? I want you to see something. In, in, verse, um, in verse 45 and 46, in their response, the word pearls, in the NIV, the last word of verse 45, uh, that word pearls, the merchant was looking for fine pearls, is in the masculine form, the noun. He went and sold everything that he had. The word everything is in the neuter form. He uses the masculine for one and the neuter for the other. What does that mean? It simply means this, friends. This merchant didn't go sell all of the other pearls that he had to buy this one pearl. He went and sold, as it's translated in our English version, everything that he had. He was so determined to have this thing that he sold every single thing that he had, just like the guy who found the, the treasure in, in the field. He sold everything that he had, not just a small portion of what he had. He was determined to have it because now of the commitment to surrender everything to this treasure that he was getting and I wonder if the gospel has done that in your heart and in your life. Have you committed the, in the entirety of yourself, surrendered everything? We just sang it, did we not? I surrender all. Do we really believe that? Do we really live that? Are we really doing that? Here now then, friends, is our response, our commitment to the Savior, the very one who pursues us, plants the seed, waters the seed, brings forth fruit from the seed. 
allows us to respond by seeing the wealth of this treasure, we now commit ourselves to it and we now pursue Him. We pursue the one who has first pursued us. This is love, not that you loved God, but that He first loved you and sent His Son as atoning sacrifice for your sins. Understanding that then, now I commit myself to pursuing Him. Don't get them reversed. Many people do. Verse 44, he went and, and sold everything so that he could buy this. And by this word buy, they understand a, a, a righteousness done by our own works, a works righteousness. I have to do something to get this treasure. I have to sell something in order to buy this treasure. The gospel, the Bible, knows nothing of that kind of gospel at all. Matter of fact, Paul says in Galatians, that's anathema. That's no gospel at all. Jesus has already been telling us that in this chapter. I plant the seed. I water the seed. I bring forth fruit from the seed. There's no works righteousness here at all. Our commitment to the gospel now is in response to the very thing that he has done by pursuing us and giving us the ability to discover and see the wealth of this gospel that he has given to us in Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Why then do we live in opposition to that so often, taking great pride in the things that we do, or thinking or testing, listen, testing God's faithfulness and His patience, because He is a forgiving God. He will forgive me of my sin. I'm going to go ahead and just sin my fill. I'm going to go ahead because all I got to do is just ask Him to forgive me, and He'll forgive me yet again. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And yet we do it over and over and over again, don't we? That's exactly why Jesus is ending this parable this way. He's saying to you and to me and to them, I want you to really understand what it is that I have given to you. The fullness of this gospel that he has planted in our hearts and in our minds. When we come to that understanding, we discover, looking or not looking, and then we respond we respond by being determined to put our arms around it and commit ourselves to Him by surrendering to every. Nothing else will satisfy other than the Savior. Listen, even in your marriages, if your husband is, or wife is first, it will, never, it will break down somewhere. Christ has to be first in our individual lives and then together we share in that glorious gospel and that's what makes a healthy marriage. If your children are first in your life, and you're living vicariously through your children, instead of living with the Savior, something is going to fall somewhere. Do you understand that? That's what Jesus is asking. Have you, understand, or have you understood all that I have told you? If you have, then verse 47. Then Jesus gets to the last parable. If you have, then you need to cast this net. You need to be living the gospel in your life in such a way that you are casting the fisherman's net to catch other fish. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and it caught all kinds of fish. Now, Jesus is the master, capital T-H-E, the, and small T-H-E. He's not only the master of all, but he is the master of preaching. 
he has used every touch point that they would be familiar with. He has talked about farmers because they were farmers. In verse 43 or 5, he talked about merchants because they are merchants. And now in verse 47 and following, he's talking about fishermen because they were fishermen. He used all these touch points to say, I'm talking to you. He's saying, master, just an absolute master. So now he says, all right, cast the net. If you really have found this treasure of great price that I'm giving to you because I have pursued you, then now you need to cast that treasure out from yourself and out around in the world that you live in. He ends the parable in chapter 13 as he begins at the beginning of chapter 13 with good and evil side by side, with the wheat and the weeds together. And how he, now he says that all kinds of fish that are in the net, there are good fish and there are bad fish. So he's got the, he ends the parables, the seventh parable, just the way he begins with the very first one. Here's the life that we live. We're about casting the gospel net, casting the net of the treasure of this gospel, knowing that there are going to be bad fish in this net. They are only along for the ride. They're in the gospel net, but they're not trusting in Jesus Christ. This is why we fence the table every single Lord's Day. Because there are bad fish, even among us, and even in churches around. They are in the visible church, but they are not in the invisible church because they haven't understood the fullness of this treasure, committed themselves to that treasure, loving the Lord Jesus more than anything else. They are just in the gospel net along for the ride. Their reward today is what? Whatever they can get their arms around here and now. That bigger house that card that has that wonderful fancy title on it, all of those things that we try to acquire. If you're here today, friends, let me just in all love and affection for your soul, let me simply say this to you. If you're here today and you are bad fish, you are not loving the Lord Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you are a bad fish and your reward, you better enjoy it now. Because what is awaiting you is weeping and gnashing of teeth, as he says in verse 50. I didn't say it. He says it right here. But thanks be to God, there are good fish in that net too, right? He cast that gospel net and he grabbed us. He grabbed us. The good fish, those of us who understand the value of this gospel, see the, the beauty of the treasure of this gospel. Now, friends, that doesn't mean that all of our problems go away. And, and that doesn't even mean uh, that, uh, that we don't have questions. Why, God? Why are you doing it this way? Many of you, after 15 and a half years of laboring with some of you, you have ex you've experienced excruciating pain. The loss of children, the loss of parents, the loss of spouses. I've, I've walked with many of you through this pain. Coming to the gospel doesn't take that away. We are still living in this fallen world, the good and the bad together. But the glorious gospel is still there, still planted in good soil, bringing forth good fruit because of the watering done by a good Savior. Our reward today is knowing that this, this is not all there is to this life. I'm just passing through. I am glory bound. Eternity with my Savior. 
And so there is an urgency in this last parable, verse 40, 49. Look at it, friends. This is how it will be at the end of the age. But notice who does the separating of the good fish and the bad fish. Verse 49, it, it is the angels. They are the angels of God himself, not us. We don't separate the good from the bad. We don't know who the good and the bad are. That is God's work. It's his work to give us the gospel. And therefore, because it is something that I've been given, it's not something that I can lose. But he's telling us here, there is coming a day. And so this is why we, in all love and affection, say to those here who perhaps are apart from saving grace, don't walk out that door having heard the gospel and doing nothing with it. Because you walk out that door and perhaps to eternity of gnashing and weeping of, weeping of weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is coming a day when there will be separation, he says. The word there, the Greek word, gives us the same understanding of judgment. That judgment will be thorough and that judgment will be permanent. There will be no second chance for anybody when Christ Jesus descends with the shouts of acclamation, the shouts of trumpets and angels declaring his descent back to take his church invisible now up into the glorious heavens, reuniting our souls and our bodies together for those that are already absent from their body now. There is coming a day, a coming a day, when we will know the fullness of, the, of that reward that is ours tomorrow. That, that reward that awaits us for all of eternity in glory with our Savior. And so he just simply pauses. And I can imagine this dramatic pause after verse 40 or 50, before verse 51, just looking at them in their eyes and then just simply pausing and saying, Have you understood all of these things that I have said to you? Yes, they replied. Yes. So then he goes back. All right, we're not in eternity yet. So he goes back and he says, all right, the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of the house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures and old treasures. And he said, all right, here's, here's what I'm telling you now. You're here today. You're not in glory yet. So you need to be about two things, Jesus says. You need to be about fishing. That brings delight to me. You need to be about casting the gospel net in your world. Wherever your world is, you need to be casting the, the gospel net to your Muslim neighbor next door. You don't need to go, oh, look at that nasty Muslim. You need to be sharing the gospel with everyone that your paths cross. Casting the gospel net, fishing. And secondly, growing out of the storeroom come new treasures from the old treasures. Every single day, that treasure that's already in here is an old treasure from yesterday because new application of that treasure is coming today. And tomorrow, today will be the old treasure. Tomorrow will be the new treasure that continues to grow in my life as I come to a deeper understanding, a deeper commitment. He's pursued me. Now I'm in hot pursuit of him because he came and gave his... He died for us. What a gospel. What a savior. Do you understand it? Has it changed your entire 
life. It can. It should. It will. It's a true story. A small church in the late 60s in Munich, Germany, that burned down to the ground. Before the fire, though, towards the end of the last century, the turn of the century, liberalism in Europe had gotten such a foothold that people had abandoned the church. The number had gotten less and less and less over time to the point where they began to have to do all that they could do to keep the, 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 the church alive and afloat. The pastor even took out the pews and sold the pews so that they could have money to keep the church going. But it eventually folded. All the people were gone. Nobody was supporting it. And it closed down. And then there was the fire in the late 60s. And inside two walls, in between two walls, they found a beautiful statue They took that statue out, thinking that it had to have been placed there during the war when when Hitler's army was about confiscating all of the pieces of of art, that some faithful people in, in the congregation hid it in between two different walls. They sent it off to be cleaned and analyzed. It came back. It was the work of da Vinci himself. True story. How ironic. They had within their midst a treasure that was worth more than they could ever imagine. And yet they would not understand the value of that treasure until everything around them had burned to the ground. Do you understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the treasure that is ours right here, that he is giving and given to us. If you understand it, then your life ought to reveal it. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this sweet, beautiful gospel of grace. Thank you, Lord, that you have been in pursuit of us. You've pursued us to the point that you have given us eternity, a gift. So, Father, I would pray for that person or persons that's here today, Father, apart from saving grace, would you work by the power of your Spirit and plant that seed, that gospel seed, in their heart today, water that seed through your word, and bring forth fruit. For those of us here, Lord, that are good fish, would you remind us every day of the surrender to this world and the things of this world and our total commitment to the only one who will satisfy, Jesus Christ himself, and by the power of his Spirit then to live for him as we cast the gospel net beyond ourselves. Lord, do this work, please, we pray, for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen.